Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Make sure you support good local journalism. Of course, the Post and the Scene doing awesome work across the board, basically for every single possible subject known to man in the city of Nashville, the Middle Tennessee. So make sure you support those great and amazing, wonderful folks. We have a an entire, like, I don't know why the verve is playing in my head while I'm planning this episode. It is just a giant bittersweet symphony just echoing throughout my brain as I as I planned last night. We we are delayed of course a day to this week because we wanted to get a couple of extra games under our belts to have a good conversation about a big five game chunk. Make sure if you want some in-depth conversation about the UC Saros record breaking performance, um you can listen to it's all your fault from Monday's episode. Great job by you and Gover. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty glad, uh, Gallagher, that we decided to, to wait until Friday morning to tape this because we got the debut of the number one goaltending prospect of a generation in Yaroslav Askarov on Thursday evening. And so that is why we are delayed a day. So we've got a whole lot of stuff to get to. But just like his debut, most of this episode, I feel like hopefully this isn't a downer for folks, is going to be a bittersweet symphony as we discuss all things. Nashville Predators. How how are you feeling after after uh, five games of hockey? We haven't talked to the folks in a while. Yeah, I I tried telling everyone this is this is what the Predators do. They're streaking <laughs> again. Four wins, then two losses. They're no, no. they're up and down. They're inconsistent. So I hope you guys took your drama mean because they're we said it on, on it's all your fault. <laughs> they're going to take you on a hell of a roller coaster ride. It, it, Nashville Predators fans. It's like deep sea fishing. <laughs> It's a wild, <laughs> wild ride. All right, so lots of stuff to do today. Obviously, there is plenty of positives. There's lots of positives. I thought there were lots of positives from Askarov's debut. I thought it was there was a lot of things to take from that that was good. There's some good stuff from the road trip. There's some good stuff with some of the star players that are performing. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about with this team that we didn't necessarily anticipate. There's also a lot of other things to discuss, like a two game, like the two losses, uh, even though they played really well, I thought, against Toronto. There's two losses. The special teams are still atrocious. And there's this guy doing some stuff out in, in, in Seattle right now that we have to mention, that we have to touch on, that we cannot avoid. It is impossible to avoid, so we have to discuss it. So a lot of good, a lot of bad. All very bittersweet today on the show. However, never bittersweet, always delivering, always spectacular. The gold standard brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. Uh, are you participating in dry January? I've been I've been talking about this on every show this week. I don't understand. Are you participating in it? I don't even know what dry January is. That's good. All right. So <laughs> so dry January, apparently, I guess it's tied to the fact that we all just booze ourselves into like oblivion during December. And like it's holidays and we're all stressed out and we're with in-laws and kids and, you know, Santa is always up late at night working. And so Santa loves him some brown water. And I don't I don't know, like, I guess dry January is a thing. So if you go to Jasper's and you are participating in this godforsaken thing called dry January, where you do not consume an, a drop of alcohol for the month of January for God knows what reason, then they've got mocktails for you. They've got some mocktails that will trick your brain into thinking you're drinking alcohol. They're here to serve you, you foolish, foolish people that decide not to consume a drop of alcohol in the month of January for I don't know what reason. Moderation is still absolutely the right way to go. You can still have a, a Jasper's burger. Like if you're on a diet, you can still go to Jasper's, get a burger and a $3 beer like one time every two weeks. And it's not going to ruin your diet. Like it's not going to ruin your dry January. You can have a burger and a beer and it's going to be okay. It, Everything in moderation, Gallagher. Everything. I feel like our country is obsessed with having to have something go on. Like, there's there's all these little fads and stuff. Like, what? Who who came up with dry January? This is if you if you don't want to drink, don't drink. If you if you want to be more responsible drinking, just just cut it back to what maybe one beer. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. This and this. I'm a big believer in New Year's intentions, not your New Year's resolutions, because. If you're if you if you do a New Year's resolution, you're setting yourself up for a psychological pass fail. And then you're just yeah. going to probably always fail. But if you do a New Year's intention, all you need to do is like 75 or 80 percent of it. And 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 really, you've actually made yourself healthier. You've made yourself better. You've made yourself smarter, whatever. And you've cut back, probably saved yourself some money. And, but then you still get that 20, 25 percent of the time where you get to enjoy the things you love. And it's OK. It's, it's called everything in moderation, as my mother taught me. 
that's like someone giving up pizza because they can't not eat the whole pizza. Like you can have just one or two slices and be okay. <laughs> I don't know. Pizza is pretty hard, dude. <laughs> have you had the flatbreads from Jasper's? It's hard to not eat the entire pie. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, obviously, uh, we, we're, we're also going to have a burger debate a little bit later on in the show. Gallagher throwing hot takes all over the place on Twitter. <laughs> and I've got some uh, like I kind of agree with you, but we need to at least have a discussion about this. So we'll discuss some burgers a little bit later on. Uh, of course, Nashville Predators home and road games at Jasper's $10 smash burgers, $3 beers during Preds home and road games, and you will not pay for parking. And you know what? This team's pretty interesting right now. <laughs> so, so go watch them at Jasper's and, and free parking. Okay, so let, 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 there's a lot of stuff to get to since you and I last talked. I know you and Gover covered a lot of this with Soros and the 64 saves and setting the record. But I feel like let's, we've got to start with the number one goaltending prospect in, I don't know, what, 20 years? 15 years, 18 years, roughly speaking, we're talking about the number one goaltending prospect in the entire NHL and the entire world. The next Carey Price. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Coming up to play for the National Predators. Of course, Kevin Lankinen dressed for the Toronto game, but wasn't feeling great. And, and so they already knew it was going to happen. And so then he sits out. And of course, Yaroslav Askarov, you got to hit the car in the middle there, even though Roman Yossi did not pronounce it that way in the postgame press conference. Um, Askarov starts the match, starts the game against a very, very bad team. <laughs> and the Predators proceed in the first period to just hang him out to dry <laughs> the entire first period. Your thoughts on what you saw from the number one goaltending prospect in the world for the last in the last 20 years. Yeah, uh, my gosh, this team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're a free agent goaltender and, and David Poyle calls you, you're better. You're better served just not answering the phone because the way this team is right now and the way the defense plays. And it, it's mind boggling that we continue to have these conversations over and over about the goaltenders being hung out to dry. I, I will say, I think he he held himself pretty well last night. The first goal, odd man rush, probably should have stopped it. Just one of those where it kind of trickled under his pad and the shot went in. Okay, that could have happened to, to Saros. That could have happened to anyone. The second goal, he was a little over aggressive. He played a little bit too far to his left, and he gave up an easy backdoor goal. That one was on him. That was a rookie mistake. He has he has that tendency to be a little over aggressive. We saw it during the Future Stars game when he came out and made that ridiculous poke check save on Joachim Kemmel. That like goalies don't do that traditionally. Goalies don't do that. I feel like Askarov is, is is he's breaking the mold of what a goalie what what a goalie does. The third goal. He was getting screened. There was traffic in front of the net. Cole Caulfield just lasered one past him. Okay, but just got beat on a good play. The fourth goal, he was caught off guard. He didn't react in time. He should have stopped it, but I, I don't – like, yeah, he took a loss and he gave it four goals, but I don't consider last night a loss for him at all. I think he showed enough that he gave the diehard fans reason to believe, like, this kid could be it in goal. And I think that he – I mean, a 31-state performance, 24 hours after being called up from, from Milwaukee, that, I feel like that's awfully impressive. And I think he's – it's just one of those things where you kind of expected that to happen. I mean, the Predators hang their goalies out to dry. They give up a lot of really soft goals. And it's, I, I kind of, I, I was hoping that they would give him a little bit more goal support than, than he did, they did. But that's, that's kind of their MO this year. They averaged 3.9 goals per game in wins and 1.8 goals per game in losses. Wait, wait. So wait. scoring goals leads directly to winning. Hockey yeah, games? that's that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Holy shit. So like, yeah, the 886 save percentage last night didn't look good, but he had eight high danger saves on nine high danger shots. He gave up zero goals on seven rebound shots. Like those are those are two things like Saros sometimes struggles with giving up goals on rebounds and the Predators are yeah. notoriously bad for not being in position to, to collect those rebounds. But I, I think there's a lot of positives to take away from that game last night, especially given the kids 20. I think he was the youngest player in Predators history to, to make his NHL debut. Like this is this is this is equivalent to the NFL team clinching the playoff spot week 17 against a team like the Texans are just awful. And you give your rookie quarterback a start just to get him some game time, get him some experience. So going into the next season, he has something he has some game film. He has something under his belt to hang his hat on that from what he did. This That was the equivalent of this. I, I think he might be up here for another game or two. I think I saw that uh, the Admirals were called Tomas Vamachka. So Kevin Lankinen probably has an illness, might be missing some extended time. Right. But I, I think there was a lot of good things to take away from this. Obviously, the kid's still very green. He, he he moves really good laterally. 
he has good instincts, but I think you saw last night, it's going to take a little bit longer for him to kind of sharpen those skills and refine them. But I do think once he gets up here and he stays here, like he's going to be really good. 20 years old, 211 days, the youngest goaltender in Predators history to debut. And I'll, we'll get into some of the specific things that I like about his game and, and some of the things that I thought, you know, were, were a product of his age and inexperience and, and other things that I think are a product of his style, right? Like there's two different ways to kind of look at, look at that. And, and again, I, there's, and there's so much to like, I'm, there's so much bouncing around in my head when I'm watching that game. I'm glad you went to the quarterback analogy. I think you missed on one part of it though. This is like a, uh, a wild card team in like week seven with an injury. <laughs> like it, there's nothing, <laughs> there's no clinch division here by this team. This is the Titans in week seven, losing Tannehill and having to play Malik Willis. And so that's, it's literally, my wife was like, did the Preds win last night? And I was like, that doesn't matter. It, it all that mattered was what did we see out of this prospect? What well, did there's we a difference see? between Askarov and Willis. Like you, your wife asked, no, no, the that's Preds true. Win. That's true. The Preds had a chance with Askarov. The, the Titans don't have a chance with Malik Willis. <laughs> Very valid. <laughs> Sorry, Malik. No, no, you're right. What I what I should have said was like the number one pick, right? Like like let's say the, tit- the Titans have Bryce Young on the bench and they decide to start Bryce Young in Week Seven because Ryan Tannehill is hurt. You know that that's the equivalent here, and I, and I actually did a better job of explaining it to my wife than I did to to you in the podcast audience. So I apologize, um, because I was like the whole thing, the whole reason I was watching every moment was not about yes that they're on four out of four out of five they had won or three out of four four they had won on the road trip and they were trying to finish a really 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 good road trip, but as usual they they miss elite and great and they settle for good. That is sort of like I don't know the motto of the franchise for the last twenty years. And I, there's so many things. So we're not great, but we're good enough. <laughs> right. It, like, and it's hard to like organize all this. So like one of the goals was the two of them actually were Caulfield backdoor sort of cross ice, quick shots on a power play. And yeah. I don't know about you. And, and maybe it's just that Alexander Ovechkin and Leon Dreisaitl are that good. Okay. I'm, I'm acknowledging that that could be the possibility here, but don't you feel like something, somebody has figured out something with this predators pa- penalty kill unit because there are way too many goals being scored like that. That is where the the other team sets up their best player. They put their other guy right in that spot, and they say, let's all focus over here. We know we can go cross ice and just bang one home anytime we want. And it feels like they give up power play goals like last night against Montreal way too often, whether it's Saros, Lankinen, Pekarine, you know, uh, Askarov does not matter. It feels like that play works against this team whenever they want to. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of been something the Predators have struggled with the last, at least at least since John Hines is here, and maybe you can even go in the last year, Peter Laviolette, particularly on special teams. They are very, very predictable. If they find something that works, they stick with it, and they don't change it until, until they absolutely have to, yeah. which is why I think the power play has been struggling this year because they found what worked last year, and they stuck with it, and, and it held up consistently throughout the year. Now they're trying to do what worked last year, and it's not working, and they haven't adapted to it. The Predators, for whatever reason, is particularly on special teams, power play and penalty kill. Once they find something that works, it's like they cling to it for dear life and they're afraid to change it up. They're afraid to try something else. And they're afraid once it stops working, they're afraid to change it and try to find something else that is working. So I think that's a, it's a good point. I think there's enough tape on the Predators penalty kill now to know that that's where they're susceptible. And, and particularly with the goaltenders like and this this wasn't even just on, on the power play. This was just in the game last night. Three out of the four goals that Askarov gave up. Askarov, sorry, that he gave up. <laughs> there was traffic in front of the net. The first goal was the odd man rush, but the, the second, third, and fourth goal, there was traffic in front of the net. He was being screened by at least one or two other Canadian players. Like that, I think that that's how you beat this team is you screen the goalie and then you just tee off from the slot. And that's 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 I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I would yeah. venture at least half of the goals they're giving up on the power play come from that spot. So I, again, they they played pretty well against. Now I don't know what how you we can run through this schedule here these last five games on the road trip and sort of get a, like a grade because I think there's varying degrees of success. I want to stay with Askarov here for a second and just sort of talk about his skills because one of the things I noticed about and I was covering I was working for uh, the the local station when when UC Saros was a like a at basically around this age when he came up and and was playing and I met him and I thought he was like somebody's child at like the Preds and Pins bowling thing. I thought he was like somebody's kid and it was so small and 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 quiet and kept to himself. But like the thing that makes him so special is, and I, I saw it at, at the very first practice in the very first game, and I see it now when he's playing at a Vesna level. There is zero wasted movement. He is incredibly quick and concise with getting from point A to point B. It's why he doesn't give, it's like 
why there's lots of rebounds, but it's also why he takes shots square all the time. He's always ready and in position for everything. So one of the first things I noticed about Askarov is that he's clearly a little bit more free-flowing with his play. He's he's aggressive. He likes to get out. I also thought, like, he's aggressive playing the puck, which I thought was really interesting. Beautiful pass. Of course, it led to a too-many-men-on-the-ice penalty. And then the other one led to the, like, the first one led to a goal, potentially. I'd love to know, like, in the goalie meeting, like, did he get to the edge and clear that up the boards correctly, or was that his mistake, or was that the team's mistake? Is that just lack of communication? But he's really aggressive doing it, very comfortable doing it which is kind of fun and interesting to see how that plays out as he develops. But there's also this other thing that like, because he's so confident, I guess, in his own abilities at times, he feels like he's a little lackadaisical in his like body positioning. And again, I'm saying this as a non goaltending coach here, but like normally on faceoffs or when the puck is circling around the blue line, a goalie is almost always in position, right? There's there's moments where you take breathers and you kind of stand up and you take a breath and you're like waiting for the puck. Okay, bam, you're back into your crouch and you're ready to go. He sort of seems like he's just sort of always casual. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, we're talking about one game. He's 20 years old. I'm not trying to like, you know, it, it could be a great thing that he's that confident, that he's that comfortable in his own abilities. Like you said, great skating ability, clearly very athletic. Like the two, I mean, the two breakaways like he didn't necessarily play them particularly well, but he saved himself by getting by making a great athletic play. I just the Predators like 19 shots like wide open. You're passing the puck to the other team in the slot the entire first period. And I'm just going like this poor kid, like you're not even giving him a chance. And and honestly, I, I played a lot of hockey growing up on uh, on Sega. You know, <laughs> if you get if you get to nine, one goal every 10 shots. You know, 90%, that's sort of like where I would view like uh, the bar of good game versus bad game, right? Like four goals and 40 shots, that's about right. And that's kind of close to what he did on the road with a team that clearly had no interest in playing defense in the first period. I, I don't know. I I think it was a hell of a performance by him. And lots, all the things I needed to see from him are, are were there. And sure, he's not ready. He's not ready to be a starting goaltender yet, but everything I kind of needed to see, everything I kind of needed to see, I felt like I saw. And like I alluded to earlier, they averaged 3.9 goals per game in wins, 1.8 goals per game in losses. Like clearly they are a different team playing with a lead and in games that they win because the offense flows. And last night, like, yeah, they scored three goals, but I felt like they were playing from behind for most of the game. Like, yeah, they scored the first goal, but after that, it was like they're playing catch up. And I think, Something that I liked from from Askarov was he made a great kick save on a backdoor shot attempt by Jordan Harris in the first period. He had another fantastic kick save on Dodonov in the second period. Like Saros makes some plays like that a lot. You don't really see flashy plays like that from Lankinen, but that's that's kind of what Askarov's bread and butter is—the flashy plays, the over aggressiveness. Like like I said in the Future Stars game, he came out of the goal. He didn't just like take a couple steps out of the goal. He came out probably ten or fifteen feet and almost tackled Kemmel on that shot attempt. It, it, goalies don't do that. And what I, I love, it, it's dangerous to play that way, but I love the over-aggressiveness because it's something we don't see. And I feel like goalies playing like that takes other offenses out of their comfort zone. Because if you have an odd man rush and you have a goaltender coming out of the net 10 feet to challenge you, right. like, who the hell does that? Like, how do you how do you play against <laughs> that? That, that kind of takes them off guard. And that, that's all it takes is that second or that half second to where they're like, oh, wow, this we didn't expect that. And then next thing you know, the defensemen come up and give them a little bit of help. And it just... He, he's a different breed of goaltender, and I love it. He's so athletic. He's so fast. His hip movement, his lateral movement's really good. I, I do think he is a little overconfident. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I do think, like we saw last night, a couple goals he gave up. I think it was the fourth goal. He was just caught off guard. Like, he yeah, could have yeah, easily yeah. stopped that, but he he was over to the left, and then when he turned back to his right, the goal was going in. And I think he he is confident in his abilities. So sometimes, like you alluded to, he he looks a little lackada- lackadaisical, but I think that's just how he is. He's a very nonchalant person. Like yeah, yeah. he doesn't speak English very well, but just in the few interac- interactions I've had with him in the locker room, he seems like he seems like a Ryan Johansson type, where he enjoys cutting up and being funny and joking around. He doesn't really, you can tell, he doesn't really take much too seriously. And after what he went through to get out of Russia over to the United States, like I'm sure the kids is probably happy just to be over here. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's had a really rough last two years playing over in Russia, the KHL kind of, you know, holding him back and, and taking away his playing time to punish him because they knew he was coming over here. And then what, what's going on over there and then just coming over here. And then you're dealing with all this hype of being labeled the next carry price. I mean, there's, it's, I don't want to compare it to Ellie Tolvanen's situation, but, but he's got a lot going on. And I think 
the performance last night was really good. You would prefer to win. You would prefer to not give up four goals. But I think there was enough last night to show, like, this kid is going to hit once he gets to the NHL. I don't know if he's going to be carry price good, but he it looks like he's going to be really good. And we had Chris Mason on on It's All Your Fault over the summer when Megan was still co-hosting that with me. And we it was around development camp time. And we asked uh, Chris Mason what his thoughts were on, on Askarov. And he said that same thing, really athletic. The lateral movement looks really good. Like UC Saros is probably one of, if not like the top two guys, I would say with like no wasted movement, rely on your instincts, probably right. the best position goaltender in the NHL. And when you're five foot 10, five, 11, five foot 11, you, you, have you to better be. be. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have the advantage yeah. of Pecorino being six, five, and you just stop half of the goals because you're just literally in the way. Cause you're so big. Like Saros knows what he's good at. And he does the same thing. Askarov, I feel like, is the same way. He knows what he's good at. He knows he's really good at over at these athletic plays, which is why you probably see that little bit of over-aggressiveness because yeah. he knows he's athletic enough most times to get back and kind of cover himself. And I think Chris Mason said one of his favorite things was, and I hate the term student of the game, but he that's what he is. Askarov was always listening to, to Ben Vanderklok during development camp. He was taking the coaching. He was he was almost after every play, Ben Vanderklok would come over and say something to him. And we were far enough away we couldn't hear. But it but you could you could tell he wasn't it wasn't just going in one ear and out the other. He was taking the coaching and he was going out and he was trying to use what was just told to him on the ice. And I think because of that reason alone, the fact that he's not that any of the other Preds goaltenders aren't coachable. But I think the fact that he's really coachable, I think you're gonna he's going to be one of the one of the best goaltenders in the NHL probably in the next five or six years. Am I allowed to say that I watched him take coaching from Pecorine during preseason camp? Or was it like advice from from Pecorine? Like, what am I allowed to say about Pecorine? Because I watched the two of them interact a lot during preseason camp. And I think, like, honestly, what it is, is I compare it to, like, a young hitter in baseball or a young jump shooter in basketball or, like, a young quarterback in football where clearly you have all of the tools. Like, you have the bat speed, you have the arm talent, you know, you have the jump shot, you have the elevation, you have everything you need to be really, really good. You're just like 10% too much. You're just a little too much. And I think we saw some of that on against Montreal where he goes behind the, 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 the net to stop a puck and he needs to get out of the way a little bit sooner. Otherwise, his own teammates going to smash into him. And like there's a little miscommunication there or he comes out a little bit too soon on a puck that maybe he should have let the defense get to. He's he's a, like a little too aggressive. I think same thing sliding side to side in the crease. You, you can you can rely on your athletic ability to get back just like coming out on the breakaway like you're talking about. But you also have to understand like there you can go 10 feet and that might be two feet too far. But you go eight feet because you know you're athletic enough to get back and you could be dominant. And I, th- I think that's that's sort of like he right now he feels like he's 10 or 15 percent too much of everything. And if he just kind of reins in that little extra bit of energy at the end of each sort of move, that's where I think he could really hit a sweet spot of, of greatness. Now, again, like the confidence with which he like dekes out somebody with two, it's, it's, it's him versus two Montreal Canadian uh, uh, four checkers in his own zone, 10 feet from his goal. And he has the balls to just hold it and like fake the pass because I don't think they're going to come get take it from me. And he just does. And then he feathers the pass between the two of them, lands it perfectly. And it would have started an odd man rush if it not for being like 11 people on the ice, um, which, of course, led to the fourth goal and, and of course, led to to the loss. So uh, I think I'm with you. I, I thought against Montreal for a 20 year old making his debut as the youngest goaltender in franchise history with all the skills and athletic ability. I think you saw everything you needed to see in, in one game. Maybe he plays a couple more. Go back to Milwaukee for a year or two, continue to hone your skills, get better. And I think you're going to see this kid sooner rather than later as a part of the organization. So I think everything, I think it's as positive as you could have gotten. Yeah. And also, I also, also by too, the way, a good, a good spot too, by the way, Montreal, like, you know, not a terror, like you don't want to put them out there against, you know, the best team in the world, uh, you know, at home. Yeah, better, also, better so. in Montreal than Tampa Bay or Colorado. <laughs> right. Right. I, so, I will say too, part of it. And I, I kind of wonder this a little bit. The kid's 20 youngest predator make his nhl debut and you're you're talking about i mean he's not deaf he hears he hears what people say about him he he knows he's been labeled the next carry price i also wonder if he was trying to do a little bit too much last night maybe doing being a little bit too flashy How and that kind not? of played in yeah that kind of played into it too like he's trying to show this team yeah. like hey i can do some things that maybe some of your other goalies can't and maybe I'm not saying he was trying to show off or anything like that, but I think he was I think he was trying to do a little bit too much to prove that he belongs here 
and, and that he he's trying to live up to that billing of being the next Gary Price. No, and I the the loss was on the defense in the first period and Colton Sissons. I, I you'll never find a person who's Colton more. You'll never find a guy who loves Colton Sissons as much as I do. I just love his game. I love that style of player. I've said this a million times on the show. I think he's an incredibly valuable asset to the team, especially at his cost. I think every I like everything about Colton Sissons, and he's just been an excellent player for this team. But Thursday night against Montreal was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. He takes the penalty that leads directly to the goal, of course, which was technically a questionable call. But he misses two wide open nets, just two wide open nets that would have changed the game. Um, and and so again, that's neither here nor there. Just wanted to mention it. I, I did think they played. Did anyone ex- check his stick last night? Did did we find out? <laughs> did, did he pick up one of one of Craig Smith's old sticks? That's what I wanted. Wow, know. wow. Um, all right. So I I do want to quickly go through the five game because again, bittersweet. Three and two could have been better, but pretty solid. Um, they've taken points now in nine out of 12 games. They're seven, three and two. So they have been playing much better hockey over an extended period of time. They did what we've asked them to do, which is score goals against good teams and beat some good teams. I thought they played extremely entertaining and fun and pretty balanced, energetic hockey against Toronto, a very good team on the road. I really enjoyed that game. <laughs> like other than the the stupid four minute double minor that cost you the points in the final five minutes <laughs> by Mark Jankowski, I think. That's Other than the one one big glaring thing that, yeah, that yeah. kept you from winning the game, they were good. But but also, but the style is is more entertaining. Like I, I had fun watching that game. They had energy, they had pace, they were physical, but also skilled. Like I just enjoy against a high quality team on the road in a tough environment. I really enjoyed that game. Um, obviously, the Carolina game was as bizarro as it could ever possibly get with a five three win. Um, so here's what I want you to do: the five game road trip. I want you to grade it. Because everything is not through the lens of should they blow the team up or not. <laughs> we, we we have to take a break from that this week. But, never, never. <laughs> but um, Carolina 5-3 win on the road, but you give up 64 shots. Record for UC Soros, of course. How do you grade that performance? Isn't that, isn't that a B-plus, A-minus for, for the victory and the two points? Or do you view it more as, wow, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Juice? Uh, yeah. Um. UC Saros gets an A double plus on that one. The rest of the team, I would give them a B. I mean, you give up 67 shots. If if Saros isn't on his game, even if he's just an just average that night, you 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 lose that game. I, um, I don't know. Yeah, a, a B. You give up okay. four power play opportunities. It's just I, it yeah. wasn't great, but Saros again saved you. Well, 0 for three on the power play against Montreal. One for 15 on the road trip. So. Way to go, boys. Um, three to two at Washington. A good team. McDonough gets the game-winning goal in the third period. Uh, how are we grading their performance in that? Na- and I, I'm, I'm doing this rapid fire for a reason here. So, um, I would say B plus. I, I think it was a good okay. holding Ovechkin. No points was good, but you thirty. You got outshot thirty-two to twenty-one. You need more from the offense. Okay. Uh, yeah. There you go. Uh, three nothing shutout at Ottawa, which put them to their best. Record of the season, five games over 500, 19, 14, and five after beating Ottawa, three nothing. Probably their best game of the road trip. Yeah, for sure. I'd give that an A minus. The only thing that's keeping them from an A plus is again, they got outshot 38 to 36. Okay. 2 1 loss to Toronto, four minute double minor. Fun, fun, fun game. Terrible, terrible, terrible mistake at the end. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go C plus. Yeah. I thought they played a pretty good game, though. All right, 4-3 loss to Montreal with a 20-year-old goaltender making his first game, first start. But all the things we also talked about, terrible defense, lots of breakaways, not giving him any good situations, no no support on the power play, giving up two pen- penalty uh, power play goals on, on the defensive end. How are we grading this one? I'm going to go B-. And I, the only reason you get a B- is because Askarov, Askarov was was pretty impressive. If, if, if he didn't show glimpses of what he did last night, and you just got an average yeah. goaltending performance from Saros, I would have given him a C. All right. So, a, but basically, if we're averaging this all out scientifically, of course, uh, we're talking about a B minus B, B plus performance on a three game, three wins out of five on the road trip. Um, You see where I'm going with this. <laughs> you're pushing, you're pushing the deadline back. <laughs> no, no. Well, no, not even. I mean, maybe, but like what I feel like is that maybe there were chunks of time where I thought this was like a C team and that, and a C team means you trade all your pieces. And I heard Gover talking about this with you on Monday show, like the idea that any human being should ever mention the word 
buyer. <laughs> I will punch you in the face. I will punch you right in the face if you say this team should buy and be a buyer at the deadline. I don't I, no, no, zero, zero percent chance. They're having a difficult enough time as it is getting the current team to gel and build chemistry. Yeah. Adding another player in there is only going to make it worse. I'm seeing signs of life, things that I like, gelling of this, energy here, but this is a little bit better, blah, 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 blah. But it still doesn't amount to anything better than maybe a B-plus performance at best, a B-plus team at best. And what does a B-plus team... Now, I did hear you say this also, which you have not said to me on this show, and I feel a little hurt by this. And I don't even call you Bradford ever. I, You know, like that doesn't even <laughs> happen on this show. Um, <laughs> I will say... That's for you, Gover. Uh, I will say that I, I just you did say that this team could win a playoff series as they are currently constructed and I don't think I've heard you say that so even it sounds like you have gained a tiny bit of positivity in how this team has played over the last 12 games I think there's some some perspective to that I said the roster the way the the roster that they have now with a healthy UC Saros they have the talent to win a playoff series do I think they'll win a playoff series no but if, if all things, if the stars align, if everything that happened last year happens for them this year and they make a playoff, get to the playoffs, if UC Saros is healthy, they have the talent to go out there and win a playoff series. And I think that plays into what I've been saying all season long. They're a very streaky team. If they go into the playoffs and they had just lost a few games in a row and they get into the playoffs and they can somehow pull off the streaks that they've had where they've won four games in a row, they won three in a row, and they can, they can get hot at the right time, they could go in, especially if they're playing I don't know. They're probably going to be a wild card if team if they if they get in. So say they're playing, I don't know, the Flames or the Oilers. You're playing one of those two teams. I, I could see I could see them upsetting one of those teams. If, sure. if Sars is healthy, like they have the talent to do it, but I still don't believe that they're going to win a playoff series. I don't even think they're going to get into the playoffs, but I, I know I can I'm just see not a sure. scenario where it happens. I'm just not sure I've ever heard you like even admit that much. So I was just I was just proud of you for for you know kind of evolving a little bit with the team here. I was um, drinking a little bit of the Kool-Aid. They just come <laughs> off a four-game win streak. Like I I I had seen I had seen some fight from this team that we haven't seen up until this point, but I think we're halfway through the season now. Like this is the midpoint of the season. This yep. is where like it's it's time it's time to make your playoff run or admit that you're not a playoff team and start and start building for next year. And it's I haven't look, I, it's frustrating. They're, they're three points out of the final wild card spot. So they're not technically out of it. Ideally, they're two or three win two or three wins in a row from getting into the wild card spot. That's the frustrating part about this team is they're not bad enough to be out of it, but they're not good enough to be in it. Stop me if you've heard that one before on the show. Um, <laughs> so they've got a bunch of games at home. I still think the end of January is about where I'm at on this, where you kind of need to know where you are. I think I said last week on the show, like barring a 9, 10, 11 game winning streak, and they not quite did that. They only got halfway there. But if they put another one together at home and they run off a bunch of wins, they could easily find themselves in second or third place in the division there. They were technically ahead of Colorado for a couple of days there uh, in the standing. So we'll, we'll get to that. And, and we've got to get to some. There is one large negative story we're going to get to, but some positive ones as some players are coming to life <laughs> and a very young player that you pinpointed like months ago that I just am like every time I watch him play, I get more and more excited to watch him play. So we'll, there's some positive stuff to get to uh, on the program. And again, a lot of home games here, some opportunity for the Preds to prove that they belong in the playoffs. But you're running out of time to do that. You're going to have to keep, you know, they've been good, not elite the last 12 games, pretty solid, but they need to, they have to keep it going and maybe even improve it to make me and you change our minds. It sounds like on the upside for this team. Now, before we do any of that, the gold standard is brought to you by our wonderful and amazing friends at Jasper's. Okay. So Jasper's has a spectacular smash burger. It's one they of the best do. burgers. I've in fact had that burger. It's good. $10 during Preds games, home and road. It is one of the best burgers. We're going to get into a big debate here, so don't don't skip don't skip ahead, please. Obviously, go to Jasper's. But you put out on Twitter that because our, our esteemed leader, <laughs> our esteemed leader of this wonderful and amazing state that we live in has decided that it is a priority to bring as many random chains of hamburgers to our state. Now, obviously Jasper's is for $10 puts every single fast food restaurant to shame for $10. And some fast food restaurants are charging like $7.99 for meals, $8.99 for meals, like just absolutely absurd prices for fast garbage food. If you want a real burger, 
and $3 beers for Preds games, home and road, free parking. You go to Jasper's. And tornado fries. Don't forget the tornado fries. Oh, you do love the tornado fries. They're so what? good. <laughs> they are. Now, they also have sweet potato waffle fries, which you don't find everywhere. That's pretty solid as well. Those um, are good as well. My wife give, give everybody your take on Twitter before we begin the debate. I said here, let me, I don't want to miss, miss quote myself. I think you uh, used a mili- I think you used a very Gen Z term, by the way, that my wife didn't understand when I explained it to her. She was like, what does that mean? I was like, I think it's an insult, but I'm not sure. Oh, uh, I can't find- <laughs> oh, I said hot take in and out and what a burger are both mid Culver's has the superior burger, <laughs> which first I, all, you, first of all, you should have said Jasper's has the superior burger right there. Well, but, I'm talking fast food burgers, right. so that that in itself is a debate because there's some people that are like, oh, Five Guys puts both all of them to shame. Like, I don't really consider Five Guys fast food because it's more of a, a burger joint, like a restaurant. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't count. It's not if you I know there's some that apparently have drive throughs where you don't have to get out of your car, but not yeah. any not any that I've ever been to. And if, you, if, if, we're, you if we're taking that and we're defining that as fast food, then Shake Shack puts them all to shame. And you know what? Literally, there's one of those located real close to Jasper's on West End. Ain't no free parking over there. Uh, so let's just, let's just leave that at that. But here's my thing. I'm with you on one thing. I think in and out is one of the most overrated fast food joints, unless they want to sponsor the show, uh, in the history of like, to me, the quality of the food versus the coverage that they get in on like Twitter or like earned, you know what they, you know, earned media, right? Earned media is is not paid media. It's just like this right here actually (laughs) is earned media. Uh, they get more earned media with with lack of quality of any burger place I can think of. Like they're fine. It's fine. It's nothing. People defend In and Out and they talk about it as if Jesus himself prepared it. And I <laughs> my wife and I went to Colorado a couple months ago and they there was we were staying with our brother-in-law and there's an In-N-Out right down the road from their house. It was the first time we tried it. We were we were really excited. We've heard so many people hype up In and Out and that burger was complete shit. And the, I've and never, the fries, the fries, like the little shoe the fries, are fries. terrible. I've fries never been terrible. more, I've never been more disappointed in my life with. And I, I know, like, I, I, I usually try to make excuses for places like, oh, that burger wasn't that bad. A little more seasoning would have been okay. Like, what? No, it was terrible. And I, I wasn't really impressed when we got what a burger here too. What a burger! It tasted, it tasted like a, a tastier version of a Sonic burger. So oh, I'm just, I, I don't, oh. I don't understand the the hype with both of those. But I, I don't either. Give me, give me a choice of the two. I'm taking what a burger every day. In and out is crap. I, I would also go Whataburger over in and out but this is why, as a 40-freaking-year-old man, when I want a burger, I go to a real burger place to get a real burger. Now, I'm not going to lie. There are three of them in Nashville because they all sponsor all of the shows. <laughs> but Jasper's, ML Rose, and Pharmacy, I'm just – those are three burgers. Go. All three of those burgers put every single other name we've mentioned in this to shame – and it's not even close. And the fries and at all three of those places are wildly better. And you're not even spending like again, you go to Jasper's and you get a ten, you get a fifteen dollar burger for ten dollars, and you can add beers for three bucks. You, you're telling me that that's not worth it? Then I've, I've this, had this, burgers at all three of those places, and I can say they're all great. But I'm just like, like that is such an extraordinary burger relative, like for three more dollars, four more dollars. And you won't have to suffer the disappointment that I suffered in Colorado as I'm biting this crap in an outburger. I, I am curious though about Jesus's attire, like on the grill, flipping the burgers. Like the sandals are a concern for me. There's a lot of hot grease in a kitchen. You know, thou thouest flippest the burger. I, I'm not sure if he's like I, I think he's probably more likely to work at Jasper's. I, I mean, the robe gets in the way probably too. You got the hair. There's a lot of hair in a kitchen. I just I'm pretty sure that 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 jesus is not the one making the burgers at in and out i'm just i'm just throwing it out there i'm pretty sure he's not I, i'm pretty sure he's not making those patties okay i think we all can agree that jesus would never eat it in and out exactly go to jasper's where jesus eats <laughs> all right so a couple of before we get to the the really 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 negative story <laughs> let's start with some positive stuff and that is uh philip forsberg as we told you as we told you last week Philip Forsberg, not a huge fan of, Fe- of of February, okay? Not a big fan. But you know what he loves? Loves him some January. <laughs> he loves him some January. Started scoring right at the end of December, has now has scored nine goals in nine games, got one against Montreal. He's got 18 and 41 games, which means he's on pace for 36, which is still like 20% less than he did last year. Nito Niederreiter got to 13. He's on pace for 26. 
which is solid. Uh, but like, still, none of these guys are on pace for anything close to where they were last year. Roman Yossi has scored 10 points in 11 games. He got another assist. Uh, and so some of the big names are, are performing. Ryan Johansson, by the way, is on pace for 40 points. Okay? That is well below Gover what he is paid to produce. Okay? Yeah, he kind of slowed down a little bit. He was really good the first two or three weeks of the season, then he kind of took a dip. All right, well, I'm trying to stay positive here. So here's what I want. I want to land all. So that means I, I, Forsberg's on pace to do, I think, what he's paid to do. Nine so goals, 13 points in nine games, last nine games. Pretty awesome. And he's carrying the team during the stretch. Yossi, also pretty awesome, gets paid to do it. So he's getting, he's doing what he's getting paid to do, in our opinions. Um, hell, even Ryan McDonough scoring a game-winning goal. Way to go, dude. Uh, it, here's the thing. And, and I think playing pretty good defense, by and large. Here's the, here's the but not Duchesne. You know, Johansson, some of these guys need to step up. But here's the guy that I love, and they scored 12 seconds into the second period because they put this line together. Forsberg, Parsonen, Duchesne. That is such a fun line to watch. Yuso Parsonen now has 12 assists. I think he's got 12 assists in his last, uh, in, in 26 games since getting called up. He's got, he scored a goal late. Obviously, it was kind of garbage time, but whatever, it still counts. Four goals, 12 assists, 16 points, 11 points in his last 11 games. This is not. This is no longer a prospect finding his way. When you are scoring a point per game and centering one of the top most talented lines on the team on the road against high-level competition, you have now become an important piece of the team. And it is fun to watch him play. It is fun to watch every shift of his. You see him... Cody Glass is the same way to watch him go 200 feet back and forth. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but... You nailed it, man. You said this This is the cat to watch back in like development camp and rookie camp and preseason camp, and I, you could not have been more right. He is absolutely a joy to watch, and they're putting him in a really prime position to be successful, and he is delivering. Yeah, I think it's – no, hear me out. I'm not, I'm not calling him the next Tanner Janot. Whoa. And, in fact, Gover labeled Tommy Novak the next Tanner Janot on, on It's All Your Fault. Uh, by the yeah. way, 20, 26, 11, and 3 with Tommy Novak in the lineup. All time. Just want to point that out. He's a good player. But I, I, I can see a similar, I don't know if trajectory is the right word, but but a similar situation. So he's going to be so, terrible next year. <laughs> no, no. We're, I'm not going to go that far. But Jano undrafted, fighting his way up to get a chance, finally gets onto the NHL roster, and then plays so well, it's almost like, why wasn't this kid up here before? Parsonen, seventh round draft pick. No one really before before this last calendar year, no one outside of like the prospect gurus really knew who the hell Yuso Parsonen was. He had a great season last year, showed up in development camp, showed up in rookie camp, and he was outperforming veterans on this team in in training camp and in the preseason. Seven points in his last five games. Like you said, he he's centering the first line and he doesn't look out of place at all. Nope. I think I think after like his fifth or sixth game, Forsberg said he looks like a 10 year veteran or maybe it was Echo. One, someone said he looked like a 10 year veteran. So to, to your point, like the only reason I wouldn't compare him to Jano is because I think he actually might have more upside. Like he might actually be like the, the 10 year veteran that can center the top line. I don't think Tanner Jano has that kind of upside. I think he's kind of always he's like a second line winger. You know, does that, does that make sense? Like, he, I think he can actually be better. Is, is no, I agree. Parson has a higher upside. He has a higher ceiling. He he probably can be more of an offensive kind of dependable player. I'm I'm just saying the the the, the way they fought their way up the rankings of the prospect pool and yeah, got makes, to the yeah. roster. That's that's what I'm saying. It's similar similar not rags to riches stories, but a similar had to earn everything you got. And once they got to the roster, then they show that they belong type type of thing. That's yeah. that's where the comparison ends. I'm not I'm not comparing anything else about them. I, I agree. I do think Parson can be a better player than Tanner Janot. I think we're we're seeing right now. And I've had to keep pushing my Tanner Janot story. It was supposed to be published last Friday. <laughs> and then the Titans, their season ended and everything went to shit. And I had to <laughs> shift gears with that. And then there's a lot of stuff going on with draft stuff this week and the GM search and all that. So the Titans have taken up a large portion of my time. But I'm hoping to have this Tanner Janot story published next week because I think it is fascinating to see how he was so good last year and how he's just kind of disappeared this year. And the Predators aren't doing him any favors, playing him all over the place. However, putting Parson in, they're, what they're doing for Parson and they're not doing for Janot. They're putting Parson in, in, in scenarios and in, in places to succeed. And I do think playing him with Forsberg and Duchesne, that can be a really good top line. And I think I was on Money Puck looking around 
And I think that the the Forsberg, Gramlin, Duchesne line, everyone loves that line. But I think statistically, it was one of the worst three lines they've had this year in terms of goals scored versus goals allowed, shots taken versus shots allowed and stuff like that. Like you, you count on them for offense, but they give up more offense than they're producing. And I think this could be a line that could stick. This is a line if they made it into to the playoffs, I would feel comfortable with that being a top line for for a seven game series. Well, and and when you package the development of Cody Glass into this, I do think like I know we kind of joke about Cole Smith. I don't think we should be joking about Tommy Novak. I I think he's a a, a solid contributing member of of the starting lineup, may, potentially for the long term. I I don't I don't think he's ever a star. Like I think that's kind of where the the yeah. Tanner Janot comparisons go. And I completely agree with you on the Tanner versus. Uso comparison and their path to get here. I just was kind of adding a bullet point to that to say, like, I think he actually could could be a higher premium player at a different position. But I think watching Cody, like, it's the same thing with Cody Glass. Like, just watch those. If you spend some time watching 75 and 8 and watching, just don't even watch the puck. Just watch where they go. And it is it is fun to see some both of them with speed and with power getting to the spot that they're supposed to be. Like that, that's what they do so well. And, and again, and I, I credit that to Carl Taylor, the Milwaukee Admirals coaching staff, because they got them young enough that they could break them of any, before they got into any bad habits, not break them of bad habits, but before they formed those bad habits. And I think the Milwaukee Admirals coaching staff and Carl Taylor in particular deserves a lot of credit for, for glass and Parson and specifically, because those are two players. One of them was a highly touted prospect and a top draft pick, and one was a seventh round pick, and both of them are producing at high levels. One was expected to, one wasn't, but it just kind of, it, I think it just shows how great the, the Admirals coaching staff is because these are two players that are that are largely outperforming Mikhail Granlin and outperforming, I don't even, I don't, Ryan Johansson, I guess, is okay, but Par- he, Parson, even, even they're Parson outperforming him. Yeah, Parson has been better. Um, is it me or is, maybe it's too soon? Maybe I need to study this a little bit more, but it does feel like there's a, half a beat slow with some of the some Johansson stuff. But maybe again, maybe that's just like the Montreal game. Because the Montreal game, frankly, was a microcosm of the entire organization. Like terrible defense in the first period, rookie goaltender with a lot of promise, hang him out to dry. Complete and utter domination in the second period where they forced they took play on the four check. They were in the zone all the time. Just complete and utter domination and then a bad penalty. And of course you give up a goal. Like that like that whole thing is to me that entire you can't score on the power play with two opportunities in the third period to do it. And you can't do it like that. The whole game was a microcosm. Now, I, here's here's a, here's a question I want to ask you and all Predators fans. If I would have told you that Yuso Parsonin and Yaroslav Askarov would have played a game in this season for the Predators before Philip Tomasino, what would you have told me in the preseason? How how many drugs do, would you have accused me of being on? Many. I. Eh. The fact that that statement is is even true is a poor <laughs> reflection on on everybody involved. That's that's all I'll say. I could I could get on an hour long soapbox about this, and maybe we will. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about this later on with another promising player that didn't pan out here. But oh, we'll get. That. I I just I I don't I don't know what this team's doing. Uh, this is this is why. Like yeah, it's it's good to be excited about Evangelista and Afanasiev and and some of these other guys, but also like I really worry about them just because. There is no proof that you can point to in the last three years of any top, highly touted, highly regarded prospect getting to this team and being good. And and it's just, I don't know, man. I, I really hope that they don't screw up the development of some of these guys because I feel like a lot of the players they have, particularly the forward depth, I feel like a lot of them can be really good NHL players. Tomasino included. I agree. All right. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's end on this note. Um, David Poyle has already publicly admitted this was a mistake. So I don't think we need to 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 have the conversation about where it ranks and is it as bad as the Kyle Turris trade or uh, you know whatever. I that that I'm not really interested in that because we all kind of agree that there is a next generation of Predators hockey coming. It does not involve probably David Poyle as a general manager. Um, so I, I think like I'm I, if y'all are interested in having that conversation. You know, at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall, we can have that conversation. But he's already admitted that, that letting Ellie Tolvin and go for nothing was a mistake. He's already admitted. And oh, but oh, I thought we were going to get him in waivers. I, I don't give a shit. No, about you that. weren't. No, I don't no. get I no, you were never going to get him. And I don't think that's I think that's a crock of shit. But again, he's already admitted it. So I'm not going to I don't want to, you know, beat him over the head with this because that's already sort of the point of the conversation. <laughs> that's what so the fans do. <laughs> the fans are fine to do that. 
But here are some things that we, as unbiased, <laughs> it's people that cover the team, this is the facts. These are the facts that you need to know. The Seattle Kraken, 18-12-4 before Ellie Tolvanen. They are 7-0 and since acquiring Ellie Tolvanen. Obviously, exclusively because of Ellie Tolvanen. Obviously. Um, the power play before, 22%. The power play after, 28%. Ellie Tolvanen, four goals, two assists, six points in seven games, over 13 minutes time on ice. Two game-winning goals. Two game-winning goals. I think he's got like 13 block shots. <laughs> I mean, we could. I don't even know where to start the conversation, my man. Yeah, this it's a bad move. David Poyle admitted it, so I don't want to give him too much credit, but at least he can. (laughs) At least he can admit, hey, probably shouldn't have done that. And and I'm sorry if you honestly thought you were going to sneak a former first round pick with the with the shot that he has and the upside that he still has. He's only still only 23. If you honestly thought you were going to sneak him through on waivers, then you are delusional and you need to retire right now because you are doing this franchise a disservice. I, and what I, what I what I yes, congratulations for admitting it was it was a, it was wrong, but then he tried to save face. He tried to say, "Do we give him opportunity? Should we play him higher? I think time will tell." And he, and he said, "We played him in a lot of different places with mixed results." I I don't think you can sit there try to justify your bad move by saying we tried it and it didn't work. His average ice time dropped from 14 and a half, 14, almost 15 minutes in 2020 to 13 and a half last season and a shade over 12 and a half this year. He was a healthy scratch 10 times between November 19th and December 11th, which was the day he was put on waivers. His power play time was two, almost two and a half minutes per game in 2020. It was a minute and 48 seconds per game last year and just over two minutes this year. Tried him in a lot of places. Unless, and I put this in my story that I had in the post. Unless you count the number of times he played in the bottom six with different line mates, I don't really say, think you can sit there and say you tried him in a bunch of places. He was in the top six occasionally, and he had a really good early season success this year with Niederreiter and Johansson on the second line. They had three really good games, and I, I remember asking John Hines specifically, "Is this a line you're going to keep together?" And he goes, "Yeah, we'll see." I just don't understand what the plan was. I don't think they ever even had a plan with Ellie Tolvin. And I said this. In the group chat that I have with Gover and Bradford and a couple other Preds writers, I, I said that this move, letting Tolvin and go, was done 100% specifically to appease John Hines. Because when John Hines doesn't like a player, John Hines does not want that player around. We saw it with Rocco Grimaldi. I would argue we saw it a little bit with Ryan Ellis and with Victor Arvidsson. When John Hines gets it in his head that a player can't work in his system or can't contribute the way he wants – he puts them in the doghouse, and they rarely, if ever, get out. And I think this move was done specifically to appease John Hines, and now it looks really bad. Hines looks bad because he couldn't develop him. Boyle looks bad because it looks like he's working out terrifically in Seattle. Everybody involved looks bad in this situation. And, and the fact that Mark Jankowski and Cole Smith and Zach Sanford and Kiefer Sherwood and Michael McCarron all, oh my God. all got more playing time this year than Ellie Tolvin and just makes everyone involved in this situation just look like a jackass. And, and it's fine. Like if you just said like, oh, Yusuf Parson and Tanner Janot and, and like uh, some high level guys like, no, you went with Michael McCarron and Cole Smith and, <laughs> and nothing, even... nothing personally against oh, any of those guys. They're all really nice guys, but they're not for sure. Not great hockey players. Kiefer Sherwood started uh, the first game over Zach. Ellie Tolvin and on the second line. Kiefer Zach Sherwood, who, who had like 10 games of NHL experience before that. And was cut, Zach Sanford, right? Yeah. <laughs> Zach Sanford, I think, may uh, be in Milwaukee. I don't know. He was placed on waivers. No one claimed him, so I don't know where. He's bouncing around somewhere. But Mr. So, 82 game, Mr. 82 game player Cole Smith is still around, but Ellie Tolvin is not. So, number one, Seattle is, is a really fun story if you can step back from your Preds fandom. It's a really cool story. And to add a piece like that, makes them extremely like legitimately dangerous in the Western conference. Oh, for um, sure. And what's cool about Seattle is, and David Poyle even said this on the radio is they don't really specifically have a, a top line, second line, third, like they rotate their players a lot and they do it. I think they do what John Hines wishes he could do is find the right combination of players to rotate because it, no matter who they roll out there, one, two, three, or four, yeah. each line plays the same way and they produce almost the exact same. So here's the thing about this. Like it is going to be painful. If you choose to let it be painful for a long period of time, or here's how I'm going to spin this. 
there, there are a lot of reasons that fans are frustrated with the coaching staff in the front office of this organization. We have documented them ad nauseum for the better part of two and a half years now. It, there, none of that stuff really has changed. This is very similar to John Robinson drafting Caleb Farley. And if you don't know, cause you're just a hockey fan, go with me on the journey here. Like, <laughs> really really good general manager that is largely the best general manager in titans history we talked about this a couple episodes ago when he was fired and and had done a lot of really great things for the organization the the, he was fired two days after the titans got destroyed by the eagles where the owner amy adams strunk was like dog cussed by eagles fans and thanked for trading them their best player aj brown that was not the reason that John Robinson got fired. It was the straw that broke the back on a litany of decisions that that degraded trust in his ability to run the franchise. To me, Tolvanen having immediate success and David Poyle and John Hines having to answer questions immediately upon his arrival in Seattle and immediately becoming a successful player is not the reason you fire John Hines or ask David Poyle to step down or move over. But it 1 million percent could be the straw that breaks the back for everyone involved. And that is like, that's the kind of thing that when you start to put together three or four years of decisions, and then you look at the very last one and you go, Oh my God, I can't believe you guys did this. I, to me, that is the thing that ends that like, if they do not make the playoffs, like we've already been down this, we we already think that they should make some changes here. And a lot of fans do too. It, it, this is not the reason you do it, but it is the, it's the straw that breaks the back in my opinion. And I, I I don't know if they have that. I was talking to a former Preds employee the other day. Who's a friend of mine who knows hockey. And he's like, he goes, he looks, he listens to the show and he looks at me, he goes, Here's the problem with the sell-off, dude. They don't have any assets. <laughs> and I was like, well, I think they can get some stuff for some guys. It's the same kind of conversation you and I have had. But I, I just that there we we that this Tolvanen thing is it's just the end of it, man. Like it's just it's the to me, it is the end of it. And I don't I, if they make the playoffs, great. If they don't make the playoffs, whatever. Win or lose a series, whatever the Tolvanen decision by the coach and the GM to me are probably going to be the end, in my opinion. In my opinion, and I think this is the biggest indictment on John Hines as a head coach. And and look, I like the guy. I genuinely hope he finds success in his career. It's not going to be here. It's it's just not. I think what we're seeing in Seattle with Dave Hackstall and Jay Leach and a lot of the other assistant coaches, they know how to use a player like Ellie Tolvanen. John Hines does not. And I know that, that I had some people out there from New Jersey that were like, well, look at Taylor Hall and look at Nico Heischer and all these guys. Like, yeah, they took their de- – like, Taylor Hall was already a good player before he got to where John Hines was. I'm, I don't give John Hines credit for that at all. Hey, Nico Taylor, Heischer, Hall was a, Taylor Hall was that good when he was 15. <laughs> yeah. Nico Heischer and some of the other New Jersey Devil guys, I think it was Jesper Brad or whoever it was, they – you saw they had their breakout seasons the year after John Hines was fired. I, I, I'm, I'm calling bullshit on David Poyle on this whole John Hines is a great developmental coach. I, I'm not buying it. I don't see it. I, I, I would maybe there's someone out there that's followed him in the US US National Development Camp or followed him at lower levels. Please give me the proof of players he worked specifically with that turned into great players. I would like to see that because I'm not buying it. I don't think John Hines knows how to take offensively gifted players like Ellie Tolvin in. We saw it with Cody Glass. We're seeing it with Phil Tomasino, which is why I'm really, really hesitant about Luke Evangelista if John Hines is still here. I just don't believe he he's a great mentor and molder of young talent like everyone thinks he is. So yeah. I think I think what Seattle is showing us is is the talent was there. He was he was never given the opportunity and he wasn't with a coaching staff that knew how to use him and put him in, in situations for success. And I, I grilled John Hines, not grilled, but I asked him about it two seasons, two years ago. I was like, you're playing Tolvin in a lot of third and fourth line roles. Have you given any any thought to moving him up into the top six? And he gave me this BS answer of you have to start him low and then let him work his way up and stuff like that. There's been tangible proof that he has played his best hockey with other similarly talented well, players. It also, flies the, it also flies in the face of sort of, and maybe it's older, common knowledge, but it does fly in the face of sort of common hockey logic, which is if you have a player who has elite skill, playing them on the bottom two lines while the game has evolved and the game has changed and you do need some scoring from your fourth line and you do need some offensive skill in your third and fourth line. Like 
Hockey still is a physical game that can come to a grinding halt in the playoffs, and you still need those power physical third and fourth lines to go out there to muck it up against other teams, elite offensive weapons that are great on their, in their own end of the ice. And while that, that group now in the NHL in modern hockey has to be able to score a little bit more, it, the common refrain and the common knowledge amongst almost every hockey person I have ever talked to for 40 years as a fan. And again, I'm acknowledging the game has evolved a little bit. If that, if you have an offensively skilled player playing them in those fourth line situations, does them no good. When it comes to like what you're asking that group of players to normally do, normally yeah. you're putting them on the ice in the defensive zone to, to on, on penalty kills to match up against a top line in a critical situation, or maybe you're up a goal with three minutes to go and you need to kill some time. Like you're doing that for specific reasons with that group of players, and that has not ever been his game. And here's the other thing he did everything you guys asked him to do. Like I talked to Carl Taylor about this at length multiple yeah. times. He asked him to become a more physical two-way player to do X, Y, and Z things. And all he did was go out and do every one of those things and was not really rewarded with the opportunity to then go back to the player that made him a great prospect in the first place. And again, we've had this conversation now ad nauseum. So I don't think... He even had an out clause in his contract that he could have left for the KHL whenever he wanted. Right. He stuck it out for two years in Milwaukee. And I think, I think the underlying issue, what it all boils down to, is John Hines took someone with an elite NHL shot and turned him into a four checker. He took him from a sniper and turned him into a four checker. And to, what, the point you just made, Tolvanen did it without complaining. Now, yep. now the chains are being taken off. He's allowed to go out there and be the player that made him this hyped up prospect. And we're seeing it work out well for Seattle. Granted, it's seven games. No, I know. And, it, and he probably comes down to earth. And we're, and again, I'm not suggesting that there isn't going to be struggles and that. Oh, I, don't, know, I, I'm not, yeah. I don't want to say he won't come down to earth, but I think this is sustainable for him. I think the system I, the Seattle crack and play with the players, the, the talented offensive players he's playing with now, I would not be surprised if Tolvin ended this year close to 20 goals or at 20 goals. And and what's really interesting, I, I, I think this is also lost in a lot of these conversations. When we get to these points, these tipping points with organizations of our of our of of between fans and like leadership, whether it's a coach, a quarterback, or a goalie, or you know a, a general manager or whatever, like it does just because somebody may think that it's time to move on from David Poyle doesn't take away from all the positive things he did for the organization. It's not personal. I think David Poyle's a, a wonderful guy. I think John Hines is a wonderful guy. It's not personal at all. It's never personal uh, in, in terms of how we talk about these guys. It, it is like, it doesn't take away from the fact that maybe John Hines would be like the best AHL, AHL coach ever. Like he might be a great AHL coach to teach a bunch of players how to do X, Y, and Z. And then when decent they, success in the NA, in the AHL. Right. And then when they come here, they need a coach that can put Tolvin into situations like he's being put in now, which is to, again, maybe there's a different system. LaViolette's system certainly is very different. A lot more skill, a lot more finesse, a lot more speed. I, I just, but it doesn't mean that LaViolette's style, like, again, there's millions of different ways to evaluate coaches because I don't, I, you know, Peter LaViolette's style is, is as a head coach, as a leader, is pretty well documented. He gets guys to run through a wall in the first couple of seasons, and then no one wants to listen to his shit after that. Like it's pretty no, it's pretty, it's pretty proven. Like the guy's been able to take teams to the cup, and then people people, you know, block him out and they don't listen. And that's just that's how he's he's existed in his career, and it's been good. Hines is incredibly likable. He's thoughtful. I love talking to him when he's when he's answer. I love listening to him talk hockey. I think he gives really thoughtful answers. It, it doesn't mean that he's the right person to try to win a cup with this organization. And I think the Tolvanen move, if he continues to find success, is going to be the last straw. If there's ever a straw left, yeah, Tolvanen was going to be the last straw. So I'll, right, just, I'll just point out John Hines's winning percentage as an NHL coach is 46.5. His winning percentage as an AHL coach was 60%. And what's his playoff record in the NHL? 4-15. and 15. Hmm. A 21.1 winning percentage. His Playoff record as an AHL coach, he won fifty one point six percent of his games. How do you lose fifteen games in the playoffs? <laughs> uh, that, does it have to be twelve or sixteen? I feel like. <laughs> did I say um, he lost fifteen games? You said four and fifteen. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to drive that in my drive that in my head. Like, how can he? Don't you have to lose four games in a series? <laughs> No, because there was the the play in series. Oh, against that's Arizona. right. That's that was I a, knew that was a free game series. That's right. That's right. That's right. My bad. Yeah. I stand. I stand and pod corrected. 
So um, honestly, yeah. it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be completely crazy to switch Carl Taylor and John Hines. <laughs> that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. I I it, it crossed my mind. It crossed my mind. <laughs> I don't I think mean, that's Carl Taylor that, is undefeated as an NHL head coach. I don't think that would work out well. But oh, but, I think Carl Taylor would work out. I don't know if John Hines in the AHL would work out. But. Oh, I think he'd do a great job. He's overqualified for the AHL. I, I'm just saying I don't think Carl Taylor is the answer to all the problems. I don't. I don't. So, like, so what any, you're saying is John Hines good. is the Daniel Carr of NHL coaches. <laughs> Jeez. Um, all right. Um, keep an eye on uh, old Ellie Tolvin in out there in Seattle as the Sea as the Seahawks as the Kraken begin to uh, surge their way into the playoffs. Uh, all right, three games at home, but really they've got what seven out of eight at home. Uh, that would lead them to February seventh after the Vegas home game. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, following three games, Buffalo, Calgary, and Columbus. Then, then go on the road to St. Louis. Um, what do you need to see, Buffalo, Calgary, and Columbus? What do you, what do you need to see in these three games, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday? I need to see at least two wins in those three games, and I need yeah. to see more offense. I, I agree. G- give, me, give me a four- or five-goal game in one of those three. And not 64 shots allowed. Yeah. Is what you're saying. I'm, I'm sure they, UC they Saros is... is I don't Gover tweeted out the other I, he in his last like five or six games or whatever. He had some ridiculous amount of, of shots and saves. It's crazy. He's allowed like what? Three or four goals in his last five games. Yeah, total or something nuts. like that. Yeah, it's nuts. He's been he's been amazing. Um, and it's what he wins and more offense. That's what I need to see. How much? How many? How, how many warts does he cover up? That is the question. Um, all right. Well, thanks for coming along with us on this bittersweet symphony of a ride here this episode it is literally snowing outside i don't know i don't know if you noticed but it is literally oh, it is yeah. literally snowing outside uh which is just fantastic my kids will love it um go to jasper's everybody the parking is free the burgers are great uh way better than all that fast food garbage you could be eating um again ten dollar smash burgers three dollar beers dry january stupid but but if you're doing it, you can still go get a great burger and get a mocktail because Jasper's is trying to make sure that they're welcoming to all different people and belief systems when it comes to booze. I don't you know understand who, it. who competes in dry January? People that eat in and out. <laughs> go to Jasper's, everybody. Read and pay for good and support great journalism at the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, of course. You can catch Michael's stuff all over the, the web there um, and all over the Twitter account as well, at MGSports underscore. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great weekend. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.